Welcome to the Broken Metatarsal. My name is Rich Williams and here we go with Series 3, Episode 5 of our podcast from Planet Football, where we celebrate everything that Naughty's football had to offer. Joining me today, the most unprofessional person in the podcast world who turned up late for the interview for this episode, Mark Holmesy Holmes. How are you, mate? Let me just deal with the small child a second. Need a wee-wee? Can you just sort of hurry up? You need a wee-wee, So just to, just to clarify, you turned up late for the interview with Stylian Petrov and now you're interrupting this because your, your kid needs a wee. <laughs> I'm wondering whether your heart's really in this, mate. <laughs> Now, this episode is brought to you by our friends at Football Index, the football stock market where you can buy and sell players for real money. Sign up today at footballindex.co.uk and take advantage of their seven-day £500 money-back guarantee. T's and C's available online, and if you get a moment, check out begambleaware.co.uk. Right, Holmesy, can we talk Stylian Petrov now without you being distracted or or what? We can, yeah. Loved it. What What a character. How funny he was, how open he was. Great story, you know. You, you think of one thing about footballs, you don't think poverty, but at times it sounded like he, he was in it. Had a real journey, but funny with it, and uh, just a, a really, really nice bloke. Uh, things that stuck out for me in no particular order, but things you might want to listen out for, without us giving too much away on what Silly and Petrov had to say, um, are, are things like uh, nights out in Newcastle. Burger vans in Glasgow. There's a bit of a theme there. Like, not, I'm not going to say unprofessional, still in, but certainly in the early parts of his career, it sounded like he was taking it one or two liberties, maybe. Uh, a what could have been with Harry Redknapp also in there as well. And then the thing that I really enjoyed, actually, I have to say, is because one of the things that we, we've wanted to be able to do is, you know, we all look back nostalgically at the noughties and the games that we watch, but to really get that viewpoint from the players in the noughties. So things like who he felt the best midfielders he were up against were, and also on the flip side, the ones that were absolute shits to play against. Yeah, definitely. No, it was. It was good. It, like I say, really, really open. Uh, I think one of the best guests we've had on this, actually. So definitely a good 45 minutes or so coming up. And of course, a player whose career ended in a way he would never have chosen to. And that's why he's involved also in Player for Player, which we spoke to uh, Gaz Mendieta about as well, which is helping players once they finish their careers going to the next stage of their lives. Yeah, and he's clearly really, really passionate about that. Um, it sounds like he's exactly the right sort of person to be in that role. And it's interesting, actually, what, what he was saying about, you know, giving players help and players doing that is clearly going to make a difference. So, yeah, again, that was, that was really interesting to hear from him. OK, well, here's what happened then when the broken metatarsal spoke to Stylian Petrov, beginning with me having to apologise because he, Holmesy, was late. <laughs> Holmesy's decided to join us. Very good of him. So actually <laughs> make an appearance on the podcast. <laughs> Sorry about that. Morning, Stylian. Good morning. How are you? I'm good, thank you. I, well, I wasn't late. I was just on time, but didn't expect... You're the first guest we've ever had who's been early, I think. I don't Stillian, like to be late. You strike me as the kind of person who maybe, I'm thinking maybe Martin O'Neill here, maybe if you were late for training, you'd get a fine. That's what I'm thinking. So just make sure you're there a few minutes early. I'll tell you what, you don't get a fine. You also get a fine, but you don't get in the bus as well. So this is the biggest problem. <laughs> and you're out for a couple of games, so you, don't, you can't afford that. Well, look, th- thank you so much for joining us on the Broken Metatarsal. When we, when we heard we were able to speak to you, we were so excited because, you know, when we think of that decade of the noughties, you know, you're, you're one of the players... <laughs> that stand out in, in, in more than one country as well here in the UK, which is just fantastic. When you, when you look back on the decade of the noughties, what, what are the first things that come to your mind? Because it was different then than it is now, wasn't it? It was completely different. Uh, first of all, there's no social media at all, guys. Uh, you know how difficult the social media is at the moment. Uh, we didn't have anything else to do by playing football and becoming something and having dreams. Now, I think the youth have uh, so many opportunities so I think they're more confused when I was growing up I only had uh, one target and that was to become a, a footballer uh, I give every everything everything to become a footballer I worked really hard I sacrificed so much um, I wanted to become something I had great idols to look up to which for me was uh, was the best thing um, I only dreamed to wake up in the morning to get the ball uh, in my feet and just to get better when I was really lucky because uh, my father was a, was a former player. So he was very demanding on me. Uh, he helped me to understand what it takes to become a top, uh, top player. Uh, so I kind of uh, saw in his eyes that, you know, that's his dream as well. 
So for me, it was important to do the right things. So that was my dream since, since, since I was a young boy. You mentioned there about social media, one of the differences back in the noughties where you didn't have to worry about all that kind of stuff. Let me just ask you, before we get into, into it all, what's the one thing in your career, whether it was in a, in a changing room or on the field or, or off the field, that you're glad never made it onto social media? Had, you been, had that happened in 2020? Oh, where should I start? <laughs> <laughs> hey, we, wherever you want to go with this, mate, it's totally down to you. Where should I start? Listen, it was, uh, it was uh, if you remember a couple of years ago uh, at Celtic when we went to have a, a, a Christmas party, I think we, had, we, we got in trouble in, in Newcastle. So if we had the social media then, we, we would be probably end, uh, ending up in, in the jails, most, most of us. <laughs> so so I'll, put, I'll just leave it there so you can imagine. <laughs> But uh, when I was at Celtic, we had a, we had a, a, a very wild boys. We had a, a, a great character. So as, as much as I say in trouble, I mean, at the moment is anything that come out on social media, interpretation is completely different from everyone. Uh, there is no, nothing is hidden. And uh, we had the pleasure that the social media wasn't that uh, advanced as, uh, since then. I'm going to struggle to focus on this now because all I'm thinking about is what you got up to in Newcastle. And my, my, my mind's all over the place, Dillian, I'll be honest I'll with you. Probably you're, probably you're Googling now what happened. <laughs> <laughs> on the subject of Scotland, you moved there when you were sort of 19, 20. Now, I think young lads at that age would have moved from London and found Glasgow a little bit difficult. You didn't speak English, let alone Scottish, which is a completely different language in itself. How difficult was that, moving from Bulgaria to Scotland, New League, everything else, young kid, but just the place and the accents and everything else? You know, guys, it's funny how, how that story came around and how the move came around uh, as well. When my uh, move was in- initiated, I was actually without money. I was actually uh, on the seaside with, with friends. Uh, my phone was, uh, was cut off. I didn't have a phone because I didn't pay my bill. So when the call came, they had to find me through my friend uh, because obviously my phone wasn't working, guys. I couldn't, <laughs> I couldn't get in touch with me. So I remember we had a late night and we were sleeping in. We were about five, five boys from CSK Sophia. We were, we were going out every summer away for a, for a couple of days on the seaside. So I remember about one o'clock in the afternoon, I, th- I think we walked in about half six in the morning or seven in the morning. Uh, I was still sleeping. Um, we still had a hangover from the night before. So I'm getting one of the boys and he's shaking and he's like, Stan, Stan. <laughs> uh, he said, uh, the, the club is, is looking for you. He said, the, the, the technical director is, is saying you have to travel to, uh, to Sofia. And I'm like, just leave him. So we leave it for a couple of hours. He, he don't come back, go back to him. I don't call. I don't communicate with him. So at six o'clock in the evening, a representative from the club is arriving in the seaside. So they send a representative from the club. Uh, he arrives at where we, where we were staying. And he was like, come on, you have to pack up and you have to, I have to take you to Sofia. And I'm like, what do you mean I have to pack up? Where you want me to go? He say, you're flying to Glasgow. And I'm going, hold on a second, what do you mean you fly? I'm flying to Glasgow? I'm, I'm with my friends, I'm on the seaside. What's happened? What, what happened in the last, I just left four days ago. Anyway, uh, we have, an, we have a, a, a huge offer uh, from a club in Scotland. Uh, you have to travel. Uh, you and another player, which is Milan Petkov, we played together in CSK and we are playing together in the national team. So you two will be traveling to Glasgow for medicals. I only packed uh, a pair of trousers and two t-shirts. That was me, guys. Um, that was me. That's why I packed. They told me that I'm going for medical, maximum top up two days, and you'll be back. This is half sounding like, like potentially like your weekend in Newcastle, by the way. Yeah, that, like... that, that, was the, that was the one. The, the only thing is that, and again, I didn't have a phone as well. So that, <laughs> that was it. You can compare the two stories. But... You know, at the airport, I only travel with uh, one pair of shoes, one pair of uh, trousers and two T-shirts. Now, bear in mind, through that journey with the, the club representative, when we went to the club, uh, I didn't ask about the money. I was so excited that I had the, have the opportunity to go and become something. I be, it made me really happy about, you know, being, <clears throat> my talent being recognized. All my hard work is being seen. I could follow the dreams of my idols, which my idols at that time was Christo Stoichkov, Krasimir Balakov, Fletchkov, you know, Trifon Ivanov. 
Uh, this is a huge, huge players, you know, they became fourth in the world. We all uh, lived the dream with, uh, with them. I was a young boy. So I knew their, their careers. I knew what they've achieved. And I wanted to become like them. So I didn't ask about the money. I didn't ask about anything else. I just wanted to go and become somebody. I think I went on, on $400 a week at, uh, at Celtic. That was my move. I'm moving from Bulgaria, different culture, no friends, no family. When I spoke with Milan Petkov, he walked in my room. I remember the conversation when they offered, I think they offered them the same contract. At that time, don't worry, this is probably you say is, is a lot of money. But a footballer who moves uh, 19 years old, I mean, I had to look after everything, phone bills, uh, bills around the, uh, my property. I had to eat. I had to make sure I dressed well. I remember I was only walking with two pairs of uh, attraction because I didn't have money to buy any. But uh, At least you've got something I, other than just the shorts now. At least I at this did. point, you've, up, you've upgraded. You, know? you realise it's a little bit nippy in Scotland, actually, and yes. shorts probably isn't going to work for the whole year. And uh, it gets, uh, the story gets really, really better. Uh, I, I remember Milan Petkoff is uh, walking in my room. Obviously, they've made the offer. I wasn't aware to, uh, to the offer because I was just a young boy. But Milan, uh, Milan he, was, um, he was a family man. So he already went through a few negotiations before that with his previous club, CSK Sofia. He knows how the trades work. So he was asking the right question. Young Stan, he didn't ask any question. So Milan is walking to the room. And bear in mind, we are already into the fifth day of that journey. I only had a, a pair of trousers and two, two shirts. So he sees my trousers and my, one of my shirts hanging. And he was like, let me ask you a question. What is that? And I'm like, I'm not joking. I had to wash my, my, my clothes in the sink because obviously I've been about four days with these clothes. I don't have any other clothes. They told me we're coming here for two days. And uh, he just started laughing. And he went, uh, I, have to, I, I have to talk, talk to you about something. And I went, what is it? And he went, listen, I, uh, we just had the proposal. I spoke with an with agent, I spoke with a, a Bulgarian uh, representative, and uh, I won't be signing. Uh, and I went, what do you mean you, you're not signing? Why are you not signing? He said, listen, I've got family. Uh, I have to look after my family. The money is not good enough for me. But listen, uh, and he, that was his advice. And you know what? As much as he was making his own decision and saying, I'm not signing, he said, you know what? The money is really poor, but for you, you have to go for it. And at that time, I, I didn't even ask the money. And I went, yeah, I'm, I'm in. I'm definitely signing. I, I didn't come here not to sign. And before he left the room, he lifted my pants again. And he just laughed and he just left the room. <laughs> so uh, at that moment, you know, um, I didn't really look at uh, what I'm signing. Uh, I didn't look uh, what exactly the challenges will be for me. I just wanted to dive in and just take that opportunity and become something. I think most managers, when they're looking for qualities in players, you know, they're obviously looking for fitness, they're looking for ball control, their ability to, to play in a team. But I think the thing that they most look for when they're signing a player is, you know, can they wash their trousers in a sink? And if <laughs> I, you can tick that box could, as well, then... I could. I didn't have a choice. So I had to do it. <laughs> Adaptable. Yeah. Yes, uh, you're right. Once you've signed up, obviously, Millen's decided not to join. You don't speak the language. You've probably got the Scottish guys in the team bollocking you, I haven't got a clue what they're saying. You've got John Barnes playing you out of position at right back. You must have thought, have I made the right decision there? Uh, yeah, I had, uh, listen guys, I had uh, so many doubts about, you know, leaving and going back to Bulgaria. Um, I've had, I've had, when I mentioned it earlier, I had great determination. I just didn't want to be a failure. I didn't, I didn't want uh, any go-backs to your values, core values. I didn't want let my, not myself down, but my dad down because I could see in his eyes that he wanted me to become something. He, want, he, he paid so much attention to, to me growing as a, as a player. He analyzed every single game after every game. If, you know, if I don't play well, he won't talk to me. Uh, if I don't train well, he won't, he won't drive me home. He will, he will make me walk and he will, drive, he will drive behind me just to tell me that, you know, I haven't, haven't, be, haven't been at my best. So walking, walking through these moments, you know, after training, before training, after the game, before the game, you start analyzing your, uh, your game, your, your mistakes, what you have to do to get better. 
And this is the moment that actually you rewind back and you say, well, you go back to these core values and you say, well, why, why I'm here? How I got here? Why should I never stop? Why should I keep going? And this is the moments when you, when you see, you know what, I have to fight. I had a really difficult start at Scotland, at Scotland guys, because I was, uh, I was out of shape. Uh, I wasn't fit enough to, to play as a, as a young boy. I was a little bit overweight. I didn't speak the language, so I, I wasn't integrated to the, to the dressing room. I could only speak with uh, Mark Viduka, who uh, he, he was speaking Serbian, so Serbian and Bulgarian are, are similar languages. So I can literally, literally find a little bit of what's happening in the dressing room, what players think of me, what I think of the players. So I wasn't sociable. And when you're not sociable in a, in a team environment, nobody pay attention to you. Nobody wants to give you that extra time of, of their own time. So I had to realize that very quickly. And as much as, as people talking about, you know, John Barnes, he wasn't John Barnes. I think it was more more of the club than the John Barnes because the club had to realize and they realized later later when I start speaking the language when I start sharing to tell them that how difficult it was for me so that was the era when they start bringing player liaisons more helpers around the club making sure that the players are more settled but I didn't have that luxury and that made me stronger that made me realize how nice and how warm you have to be to others uh, how helpful you have to be and patient with others because when I grow up and became more experienced I had to remember all these moments. Stan when you, when you speak about quite a lot of stuff it, it, it sounds like it was tough you know the, the route that you kind of took you know a lot of people have it a lot easier than that you know you speak about your dad being really hard on you do you think without those difficult moments in the start you wouldn't have had the career that you ended up having were those the things that shaped you and without that maybe it would have been too easy and you wouldn't have reached the heights that you did? I would not take the easier, the easier way because my, uh, my gro- uh, growing up and every stage of my career, every, every stage of my life has been really difficult. So I wouldn't really accept the, the easier way because I, I don't think my, my path as a, as a, as a person was, was made to, to be easier, guys. <laughs> I'm going to put it that way. Uh, but what I, what, I, what I realized, guys, is the difficult moments through, through Glasgow, is, uh, is, is, it made me stronger. It made me realize what, what I am as a, as a person. I met my, uh, my uh, wife, um, obviously girlfriend at, at that time. I met her in Bulgaria. So for the first six months, uh, I wanted to bring my mom and I wanted to bring uh, my girlfriend as well. End of the day is, uh, is uh, at, least my, at least my mom or my dad because I, I own that to them. But I didn't, have the, I didn't have the possibility to do that because I didn't have enough financial um, uh, backup. I didn't have enough uh, money to, to make sure that I can look after them when, I, when they come to Glasgow. My uh, wages for the, for the month was about, uh, uh, I think it was $1,600 uh, uh, at the time. It, it, they converted into, into pounds. My second bill for my, my phone bill, because I was constantly on the phone, I wasn't speaking the language, I was constantly speaking with uh, people in Bulgaria. My, 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 my second phone bill was £6,000. Bloody hell. Now you guys... Bloody ima- hell. Now, now you guys can imagine the oh. time I've been on the phone. I was 24-7. Yeah. What phone would it have been then? I'm trying to think what phone you would have had at that point. I, I can't remember the, who I was with uh, at, that, at that time, but uh, I was, my, my first bill was £6,000. And I hope one day you have a, a, a chance to speak with the person who helped me actually to settle <laughs> that bill. You know, I had to, through the, through the years, I had to pay it monthly, you know. I had to borrow money from my friends from, Bul- from Bulgaria to make sure I can live in Scotland. Wow. This was, my, this, was, this, was my, this was my life. I got friendly with, uh, with uh, one of the security guys at Celtic. His name is Brian Wilson. He doesn't speak Bulgarian, so everything <laughs> is a high, hand signs. So it was really an um, interesting relationship. We developed, uh, obviously, he starts uh, teaching me English. Uh, every, he tried to give me lift every, every day in training, uh, wait for me after training, bring him back, make sure that I've got something to eat. We go and do shopping together. So we struck a great relationship and it helped me so much to realize what the culture of, what is culture of Scottish people are, how I need to treat Celtic, how I need to think Celtic, how hard I need to work. 
And you know, we'll go in the morning and he'll just start picking uh, parts of my body and he's gonna go shoulder, he's gonna go elbow, he's gonna go wrist and he's gonna go knee. And you know, he starts that way. It sounds silly, like people say, that's what, that's what little kids do. But <laughs> for me to learn the language, I was a little kid. The best way to learn any language is to sing head, shoulders, knees and toes. Yeah, that's yeah. how you do it, right? <laughs> that's that's how you learn any language. Stand with that was one of the that was one of the favorite songs in the in the, in the, in the dressing room. Master young brother, head, shoulders, knees, and toes. <laughs> Stan, was it was it Brian? I mean, did you get any extra money from working on the burger van? Because for anyone who doesn't know this story, you had a pretty unique way of, of learning the language, right? Uh, that's uh, that's uh, that's my friend's. Uh, that was my friend's business. Uh, he had it on a salary. He was working as a security guard at Celtic. But he had the burger van who his, his wife was uh, was running. So, you know, the funny things is uh, a few times we went for food and um, we, uh, he realized that I, I, I'm really struggling about ordering and making an order and understanding how everything works around that, uh, that area. So he said, you know what, what is good to do is come over sometime. Uh, and I was having one or two burgers, guys. I won't, I won't like you. <laughs> <laughs> but he said, you can sit around and just listen about how people place their order, how people, you know, I've, I've heard some great way of ordering food. I've heard some bad ways. I've heard some good language, some bad language. Uh, but it was a great experience. So I could, um, you know, people say, may, may I have some people say, hey, can I have? This? So it's a uh, it's, it's different way of uh, talking. So you explain to me, listen, uh, did you hear that person? That, that was more polite way. Sometimes if you're friends, you're allowed to say that way. Um, and you know what uh, funny, uh, funny things is, guy, when you're around there, there's a lot of people coming around. There are a lot of people talking. So now at the start, I started with, um, with you know, how are you? So when somebody says, how are you? I'll, I'll, I'll listen to their reply. So in the next morning, I walk in the dressing room and I'll say, good morning, guys. How are you? And everybody, everybody would turn around. I was like, yeah, good start. How are you? And I said, I was very good. And the next thing will be, how's your day? And, and that's how I build up. That's how I build up of how, how to learn the language and how to do it, how to... Uh, integrate myself into the team. And you know, the funny thing is, guys, I had a very difficult time. But as soon as I showed that, that uh, effort to, to become part of that team, the boys are straight away. They clocked it straight away. They went, yeah, we want to help. So all of a sudden, I had a group of players that are now thinking, yeah, Stillian, they call me Stan, is actually making the effort. We tried to help him. So sometimes when I play when. Paul will come and he will sit beside me. So, you know what, you've done really well there. And I'll start understanding. I'll have a conversation and I'll, I'll give him my feedback. Yeah, but Paul, you know what, he asked me to do that, but I can't do that because the player the play was too wide. And was, uh, so now I was talking my language. Now yeah. I felt I'm there. I'm with the boys. I want to get better. I want to be part of that. And uh, it was funny. It was that people saying John Barnes. Yeah, he wasn't helpful. He was... I felt with John Barry, it was like he was still a player rather than become a manager. It became way too early for him. Kenny, was, Kenny De Glitch was there. And it, you know what? When, when John Barnes left and Kenny took over, actually Kenny was, more, Kenny was more closer to me. And Kenny realized that, you know what? This boy needed help. So he'll come and he'll chat to me. Come and he'll put his, uh, uh, his arm uh, around my shoulders. And, and you know, you try to talk to me. You try to give me. And then I started playing well because by the end of the season, I ended up with three goals. I started enjoying my football again and I felt part of a team again. Uh, let me ask you, because obviously a difficult start there at, at Celtic, you know, it's always going to be difficult if you're just walking around the changing room singing head, shoulders, knees and toes to everyone. They, they are going to be thinking, what on earth is going on here? But, but, but that aside, it, it became a very successful period for you and, and league titles and cups and, and playing in Europe and on all sorts of stuff, which is really, I guess, was the culmination of a dream come true for you. When I look at Celtic as a, a non-football player, and I look at the clubs where I think, God, if I'd like to run out and have a good game in front of a crowd, I'd quite like to do it in front of the Celtic fans. What's it like up there? It must be absolutely fantastic. It's a dream. It's a dream for players to play at Celtic Park, guys. I, um, when I walked there, I was, I was, I was stunned with when I walked, walked out on the pitch for, for the first time. Uh, the fans are just uh, the magnet. The, the magnet the, the, the fans uh, bring out of you because you walk out and you go, "Wow, this is something different." 
And you know what? When you go out and you see some players can't perform, and you understand why, because you have to be a strong character and a strong personality to, to live and breathe and, and perform under such a pressure because those, fan don't, those fans don't accept anything by, uh, by, by uh, a victory. That's why the breed is. They just don't accept anything else. And if you don't understand the DNA uh, of, of the club, if you don't understand the, the history of the club, then you don't have a chance to, to play out there every single week. I love going out to play. I couldn't wait to get out there and give everything and make those fans uh, happy and make them love me because I've realized, I've realized what opportunity I've got. I, I realized how lucky I am to have the opportunity to play for Celtic, like uh, uh, for a club like Celtic. And you know the funny guys that my um, everything changed for me in a positive way from from one man, and that was Martin O'Neill. Uh, he was very honest with me. This is this is something that a lot of managers don't understand. You, you know, the players only need a little bit of honesty. That's it. That's it. It's 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 not uh, a huge scientific. Uh, uh, resolution, you know, to to understand about uh, being a good manager. That's the first day that Matteoni walked in a, in a training ground. We done a blip test. I come back overweight from my uh, my holiday. I had a good holiday. I again, <laughs> yeah, again. But this is but this is was my my. I, I told when you know coming from Bulgaria, I, I told my weight and my stamina is is good enough uh, to play football. When I walked into Celtic, I realized I'm not nowhere near as good as what, what is expected for a, a top player. So the first day we done a blip test and uh, he told one, I was one, one of the masseurs just, just having a crack with the boys trying to get fit. <laughs> that, was, that was his perception. So obviously the boys told him, no, he's the player. So for one week, he didn't say a word. He was uh, uh, observing, he was watching me. So just before we went on a, on a, on a training camp in, uh, in America, he pulled me. He pulled me in, and he said to me, "He was dead honest." He said, "Listen, Stillian, um, I've been watching you. Uh, I've been watching you in, uh, last week. I can see that you have ability. I think you've got something there, but you have to get fitter. You have to lose weight. You have to understand that I, 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 I want players to run. Um, I want players to be capable of uh, maintaining that fitness for full season." He's not talking about. He's not talking about one game. He's not talking about uh, three months or six months. He's talking about full season. Straight away, he's putting it on my head. If you want to play here, you have to be as fit as you can. I went back to the fitness coach. Uh, I spoke with the physios, and I said, "Guys, I've got I've got four weeks to to to, to become fit." So I spoke with the fitness coach, and uh, it will be interesting if you come across to, to guys, Jim Henry. Uh, he's a, one of the fitness coaches and uh, I had a 10, 10, 10 years period with him and we, we went through a lot together, uh, you know, getting me fit and being unfit and, you know, working harder. So he, he put a plan for me. He put a plan for me. I mean, we went to America, we'll train. Uh, it was, it was about 36, 37 degrees in the morning. We'll do a two hour session. All the boys will come back. They'll go into. Uh, uh, they'll go and play golf. They'll go and wander around uh, Florida. You know, they'll have their own time. At five o'clock, I was on my gym again because I had one goal, guys. I'd love to go and, and spend time with uh, with everybody else. I want to communicate. I want to be part of that team. But I had one goal, and and my career was depending on on these four weeks. So I'll train in the morning, and I'll go and I'll do two hours in the afternoon. I have to go and do a cold bath. I have to go and have a recovery skins and I have to go and bet. Everybody, boys will come back. They'll, they'll go try to have stand come for a coffee. I can't afford to come for a coffee. That was nearly for four weeks, guys. I couldn't take my, my, my eyes off it because I knew one thing and I understood one thing from the day one. You let that man down, there's no way back. Yeah. You know what? Four weeks later, we start our first game. I start the game. I played really well. Two weeks later, and that's where you, you know who you're working with, what, what the man is uh, across you stand for. Martin O'Neill pulled me in the office. Without me agent approaching, without me approaching, he pulled me in and he said to me, this is what, that was, that was his words. Stylian, I've just uh, um, looked at your contract. I think you deserve more. I know you went through a difficult uh, contract, so I'd like you to call your agent and tell him to fly over here. No next week. I want him to fly, fly in the next two days. I want to look at your contract and I want to give you a new contract. So since that day, guys, I, I just went, you know what? 
I'm going to run through a, a brick wall for this man. Obviously, you'd, you'd re-hook up then with Martin O'Neill when you came over to the Premier League. But before, before we get on to that, just one thing that I do want to ask you, which of course is the old firm rivalry, which uh, you know you, you got to play in. And I just wonder whether you can pick out a moment. I mean, I look at that and I think that is a, that's a crazy rivalry. The fans, you know, and everything, everything about it. Is there, is there one moment that really sticks out where you think, God, that really highlights and epitomizes what that rivalry is all about? Either something watching the fans or from your position, because, you know, fans, tens of thousands of fans watch it, but from your position on the pitch, what was that like? You know what? It wasn't, the fans were always there. The fans were always, the, 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 the atmosphere for that game is electric. You can see the, the, mood, uh, the mood change straight away. You know what struck me really well, guys? And uh, this is something that not many people talk about. Obviously, most of us, uh, me, Lobo Moravci, Maviduka, then his other players coming, you know, from England, from all over the world. But what I've noticed when all the Scottish players, when that game come, it's a different, different uh, preparation, guys. I could see their eyes are just widening up. <laughs> I can see the week before that game, the tackles, everything. You know, I've looked at their eyes and I'm thinking, wow, what is coming? I remember Paul Lambert saying to me uh, uh, when we won 6-2, we obviously Martin O'Neill took over. And before that, we wasn't very consistent. I had that game, they were, they were better than us. We were winning one game, they were losing two. So it wasn't any consistency. You can see the frustration of that of the players. But when Martin O'Neill came in that club, that, that motivation completely changed. I could see Paul Lambert said to me, you know, on, on, that was a Monday, we were playing on a Saturday. On a Monday, and I... I could see his back of his heel, you know, the studs is like, going like, he's bouncing. I'm like, what's happening here? And he go, you know what's coming now? We're going to take, take them over for the next couple of years. Now we have a team that we're going to compete. Now we're going to go out there and we're going to go in war. And I'm, I'm, like, I'm, I'm thinking, what's, what's Paul talking about? It's, it's another game. He go, no, Stan, if you run faster before, now you have to run even faster. If you tackle before, you have to tackle even harder. If you pass the ball five yards, you have to pass it out 10 yards. If you want to win that game, you have to run further. And I'm, and I'm like, something's wrong with Paul. <laughs> it's another game, you know, I've been playing well. What, what is he talking about? When that game kicked off, I went, oh my God. He's right. Go and battle. That's it. I wish we could hear you do that Paul Lambert bit again, but with um, with Eye of the Tiger underneath it. Yeah. Yes, that was, that was, the, I, was prob- the, I was ready yeah. to go, mate. I was, I was ready to take the game on. I was. I was. <laughs> Listen, it's, uh, this is a moment that where you realise what kind of personality and what kind of characters you've got uh, in the dressing room. Um, you know, the other, the other person who I really looked up uh, to when the big games come up is Henry Klassen. I mean, that person... Uh, scoring skills and uh, concentration just go to another level just go to another level and you look and they go you know what I want to be like my teammate I want to be like him but I couldn't score goals like him but <laughs> you know you, you have that mental approach of uh, you know the big games is what, what we what we're trying to achieve and you can see why he's been so good and he's been so consistent for years When did it become a problem for you Stan because you had an amazing few years reached the UEFA Cup final, you're playing in these huge games against Rangers. But when did that not become enough for you that I want that feeling, I want that intensity for every game and I'm not getting that in Scotland? Uh, it came, uh, you know, it's, uh, I, I really, there's, there's a regret I've got because uh, I still, hold, a lot of uh, Celtic fans hold the grudge against me because I acted in a, in a silly young man manner, uh, one of the, one of the title presentations, I was soaking because the club didn't let me go. The club didn't want to uh, honour my, uh, my decision to, to leave after seven and, and a half uh, great years. Uh, that was a mistake that I always regret, be, regret because I think uh, I forgot my values and what I'm there and what I should, uh, should do. But I decided that because if you look at it, uh, under Martin O'Neill, we had a, we had a great, great time. We had a very successful period. We went to the Africa final. We were winning uh, titles. We were winning cups. We were competing in the Champions League uh, against the big teams. We were beating big teams. So the team started to change. You know, and the last uh, the last Mohicans I call them is is uh, Chris Sutton, Alan Thompson, Johnny Hudson, 
uh, and Neil Lennon was left when from that team. You know, we we was like uh, Martin you changed one team, then Gordon Strachan changed uh, one thing. And you know what, guys? I could have I could have chosen to to become one of the great, not one of the greatest, but a great great uh, uh, player for Celtic by staying there and having it easy because it become easier. The season I left, I had a great season under Gosh Strachan. I was playing great football. I became a leader. I was strong. I found that I've reached my peak. I wanted to go and challenge myself against better players, you know, more consistent players, uh, more teams, not just being Celtic and Rangers. And not disrespect Scotland because you can't. You, you just, this is your path and you have to decide and make a decision uh, down, the, down the way. Uh, so at that time, I decided, you know what, I have to go and challenge myself against the likes of uh, Paul Scholes and Steven Gerrard and uh, Frank Lampard. This is the players that I wanted to see myself uh, against. And that was the moment when I decided, you know what, it's, it's time for me to move on. So for me to, to be that person and to strive to get better at that, I had to move on, which sometimes fans don't, don't understand. I, I don't have nothing against it because they don't see one person or one player's life and their challenges and what, what his targets are. So I had that, uh, that idea and I, I stuck with it. I, I can only say that Gordon Strachan was very understandable uh, with that. Uh, I didn't do it in the wrong way. I've signed my contract with Celtic. They've managed to get a good fee for me. I've given Gordon Strachan another eight months of, of great football as well. And we end up uh, living in a great uh, friendship and a great relationship as well, which you don't see with many, many managers these days and many players as well. And although it ended up being Villa, it wasn't always going to be Villa, right? That was kind of last minute. <laughs> no, I wasn't. No, 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 no. It was a, it was a, it was a quick twist at that uh, <laughs> that little situation. What what happened is, uh, guys, is I was on the, on the way down to sign for Portsmouth. Funnily enough, uh, I, I I think at that time was uh, on the papers. Well, actually, I was going to sign for Portsmouth, and Gareth Barry was also also was also a target for Portsmouth as well. We end up, me and Garrett playing together. We both was linked up to move to and play for, for Harry at, um, at Portsmouth. Uh, I was on the way down to, to sign for, for Portsmouth, guys. Uh, I was agreed. Everything was agreed. The field was agreed. I agreed to uh, my personal terms as well. I remember uh, traveling down from Glasgow with my wife and my kids. I was on the way for, to international uh, game, uh, duty. Uh, it was two days before the transfer window was, was closing, so we didn't have much time. I was on the way. We decided to meet up uh, in Manchester Airport. And about half six in the evening, I had a phone call from, uh, from Celtic saying that actually uh, they had a bigger bid from, uh, from Aston Villa. And then in that time, I didn't speak with Martin O'Neill. I didn't know that he, he had the interest in me. So all of a sudden, Celtic is coming in and saying, that, well, we have a, a, a much bigger bid. Uh, now uh, you, have to, you have to speak with, with Aston Villa. And I'm like, what, what, what did just happen? <laughs> so uh, I've got Harry Redknapp on the phone. You know, we, we, we had a conversation with him. And he was, he was that honest and, and he was very, very good. He said, I'd love, I'd love to have you here. Uh, he said, we can't afford to pay the money that Aston Villa will be, will be paying. Uh, I know you'll be, you'll be, you'd like to, uh, you'd like to go to work with, uh, with Martin on uh, with Martin on you. I don't blame you with that, but if anything, please, if anything changed, just to let you know, I admire you as a, as a player. I'd love to bring you uh, to Portsmouth and if anything changed, please let me know. So he was, he, he, he was perfect. You know, he didn't, he, he wasn't somebody who go, you know, you're making the right decision or you've done this or you've done that. He was just very straightforward. Uh, his voice was very calm as well. So when you feel like that, it's like, okay, let's, let me see that opportunity. Let me see what's going to happen. Is, he, is either he accepted it or is either he didn't want me that much? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> we'll, go no. with, we'll go with the one that he accepted yeah. it and he did want you. Yeah. We'll, get we'll, with that take, one, yeah. we'll take that one. You're Martin O'Neill's first signing for Villa, actually. Now, we had Martin Larson on the podcast earlier in the, in the series, and he said a lot of players didn't like Martin at first. Obviously, you, you'd got to know him. You liked the fact he was honest and straightforward. Did you sense when you moved that actually a lot of the players aren't really keen on his... Martin Larson said that it was kind of O'Neill's way or the highway, and if you didn't like it, you weren't going to play. 
Yeah, and sometimes some players sometimes players don't understand that. Obviously, I was his first signing. Uh, when I walked into the club, there was a lot of question about about Martin. There was a lot of uh, he's doing this wrong or he's doing that wrong. So for me, it was very important to to find out the right approach and to to tell them that it, it takes time. Uh, when I signed up for Villa, Matt O'Neill said that he's gonna he's gonna change the perception of the players' uh, mentality. He wants a successful team. You'll make sure you'll make a lot of changes. So I felt I felt that a lot of the players were were, were more uh, insecure and threatened of you know I'm not going to be part of the club. I don't know what to expect from this manager. Uh, so when I've signed for the club, he said to me, uh, "Stealing, there will be a lot of changes." will be uh, a shaky times for, for a year or so because I'm going to let a lot out and I'm going to bring a lot in. Uh, I'd like you to be part of my plans. I think you can fit uh, nicely into, into, into what I would like to do. So for me, it was, it was very difficult at the start, you know, guys, because I, I could see for the next year or so, I saw I made uh, a lot of French, uh, friends in, at the club. Uh, obviously, some of the players were there. They knew that they won't be part of a long-term uh, uh, players for the club because of obviously Martin even uh, cleared that to them or they, they can uh, notice it. So for me, it was, it was very difficult for the staff. I had to deal with that, with that as well. Uh, at the start, it was okay. I had a, I had a very positive start. Um, I was playing well. But when all the changes were start uh, taking place, you know, player was going out and players was coming in. There was a young players. There was no balance of the team. I had to end up playing on the right. Two of the games I played the right back. So all of a sudden, I'm trying to fill gaps and not using my strengths and not using my best way of playing and what I can do best. But I just had to fit in. I just had to do it because that was the, that was the plan from the start. And I, I couldn't just go and complain. I just had to deal with it. Uh, well, once you're in the, the Premier League, obviously you wanted to make that step up. You talk about the week-in, week-out intensity. And you're starting to play against players you haven't played against before. Well, which of those ones through the ass? Because I'm always fascinated by this when we look back on the decade. Like, we as fans look at players and think, oh, I wouldn't, wouldn't fancy lining up against him. He'd be a bloody nightmare. Oh, God, he's going to get in my head the whole game. Who was it that you saw on the team sheet on the opposition that you just thought, this is going to be a nightmare 90 minutes? And who did you play against that you just thought, were the best players of that era? Well, the hardest one I found out playing, and he was at the top of his game, is Steven Gerrard. I mean, he, he was exceptional. You know, as, as a midfielder, I always pay attention to what I can get uh, better at, how I can improve. I always analyse uh, um, analyzing the game of opposition. At that time, it wasn't so big into analysis and to stats and to data. He was the hardest to, to, to match up because... He was different. He can change his, his game very quickly. Uh, he was quick. Uh, you give him an inch, he'll punish you. Uh, he can shoot. He had a great uh, shooting ability as well. He had a great speed. He had a great awareness. So for me, it was very difficult. But it was also a great challenge as well because I had to study him more than everybody else. Same with Frank Lampard as well because Frank was, you know, he was arriving late in the box. I used to play like that. So at Villa, I had to drop in a, in a deeper position. So I have to watch uh, a clips uh, all the time about what time, when he arrives, when he uses his, uh, his uh, uh, timing of his runs, what, how he receives the ball, when he plays one, two, how often he shoots around the balls because he, he, that's what he was doing. He'll play one, two and he'll, he'll just finish it. He won't even wait for the perfect shot. He won't even wait for the, for the perfect opportunity. He'll just do it. So for me, it was like how I'm going to block him, how I'm going to deny him that, how I'm going to push him further in an area where, where he's not going to be comfortable, how I'm going to make that harder for him. Post calls again, post calls when I, when, I, when I arrived in the Premier League, again, he had more deeper, deeper positions. So how are you going to press him? You press him, he pop around you and he's, on away, he's away. So how are you going to stop him receiving the ball? what position you, ha you have to take. So every player was different challenges. So do those three was really uh, eye-opening for me. Now, you've answered half my question, now, which, is, which is fine. You've answered the, the question about the really good players, the excellent ones. But I'm going to have to push you on the other half of that question, which you might, have, you might have just forgotten about or you might have avoided. I'm not sure which one it is. But the players that were a bloody nightmare, the ones that you knew were going to leave a foot in, the ones that you go, oh, God, I don't want to play against him. He's just a, a shit to play against. You know, there must have been some of those as well. 
Yeah, yeah. So Robbie Savage, <laughs> Danny Murphy, you know, uh, we always had great battles. Sometimes with Danny, with Danny, we we get uh, we do some media's and we talk about it. You know, we we always keep each other, you know, in in the right manner. But uh, I can remember them through them through that. Robbie Savage as well. He just he, he just he's just a nonsense, you know. He just he just go and he kicks you and he pulls your shirt and you just go. You know what? Just get away from him. <laughs> just don't take that closer for me. Just, just get away. I mean, you, you're not really doing anything. And again, you get the ball he's in your face and you pass away and you look at our oh, receiver again and then you receive it. He's in your face again. You're thinking, oh, just get away from me. You no, know, this, this is two players that I'll probably pick that I, I remember from my time as well. Uh, who, who else would give the verbals? Because there are players that like to talk a lot on the pitch, aren't they? You know, getting people's ears. Was it, was it Robbie? Is he one of the main ones for that? Oh, yeah. He won't stop. He won't stop. <laughs> He'll talk nonsense as well. He's he just going to say things without, without making sense. But, you know, that's him. You know, sometimes players find their, the strength. Players find what, what they do. Sometimes they wind up the opposition. And, you know, what? he had a good career and been successful for what, for what he was. And, uh, you know, I don't mind that. A good banter on the pitch is always good, as long as, long as you're winning, though. Yeah. <laughs> if you're on the losing side, you don't want to be on the other side of the banter. <laughs> You've named five really great midfielders that you definitely haven't solved the long-standing Gerard Scholes or Lampard debate we have in this country because you've named all three. But um, none of those five players scored a goal from as far out as you did against Derby, I don't think, ever. <laughs> this was part of the agreement to do this podcast that we had to mention this goal, right, Stillian? You yeah, said it well, yeah. you know you know the goal. You know what, guys? I've practised that, that, that strike every single day. <laughs> no, I haven't. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, this is this is a unique moment in in uh, in the player's career when when you 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 just uh, you have to just sit back and admire it. Not many players have the opportunity to score go- uh, goals like that. Not many players have opportunity to shoot from there. Not many players have the, the 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 confidence to to take those shots because don't get me wrong. If that if I miss kick that ball or I I've have missed the target, people will be talking about what is he doing. And that time at Villa, guys, I was under pressure. Because that was the time when I go back in the team and playing in more deeper position. Before that, Martin O'Neill left me for three months out of the squad. So for me to take that shot and, and be a creative and adventurous, it was a big task. You know, it was a, it was a, it was a huge risk. So listen, I, I, still, um, I still watch all the time. My, uh, my little boy watch all the time. Uh, a lot of young Keats, uh, uh, Who needs Papa Pegge when you've got your old goal against Derby? <laughs> yes. <laughs> Dad, please, can we just watch a cartoon? Not again. Listen, Stop making us watch the goal. Listen, we went through that, we went through that period uh, uh, a long time ago about, you know, having a few months of, Dad, come and watch that goal again. He said, what, what a goal. How do you practice it? Do you, what you, how, how do you think about you're going to score from there? So there's a lot of question as well, but you know what, guys? I, every time I see it, I, I, I love watching it. I like the idea that the, the further Martin O'Neill moved you back, just the further out you had to score from. Just had you oh, kept yeah. moving you back, you would have just scored from your own box in the end. You know, when uh, when Martin O'Neill moved me back, is is uh, I was like uh, I was like he said to me, Stillian, uh, I've got a new position for me, for you. Um, we have a very creative, adventurous, uh, quick players. I think we can. We need somebody little bit to to give us a balance in the middle of the park. You've played that position for the Bulgarian uh, national team. I think you can do well. I'll try you. I don't want, that's what he said to me. I don't want you to go forward. What I want you to do every time with the breakers, I want you to organize. I want to be the balance of the team. I want to make sure you pull Ashley and there was Stuart Downing, there was James Milner. You make sure Garrett is back in the position as well. You make sure that John Carew and Gabby is, is, is back in position where we, we can defend. You, you've got enough uh, uh, distance uh, in front of the, uh, the back four. So literally you're saying to me, you know what? I want you there to be my, my, uh, my guidance. I want you to make sure the team is well organized when we lose the ball. When we get the ball, you can play. I don't have to tell you. The soon we, we, we play with the wingers, I want you and Gareth to keep the ball in, a, uh, uh, in, the, right, in the right areas. And the soon you, you see the opportunity, Ashley on Stuart Downing being one-on-one, send it. Send it quick and let them put crosses in the box because we've got enough bodies. And you know what? It's very simple. You know, people talking about managers, you know, going and analyzing a lot of things. It was very simple and it was working for us. And he built the team to play that system. So it was really, it was really fascinating. You know, sometimes people talk about, you know, oh, what you do in training. Oh, 
we didn't do much. He just might only just trusted the players. Before we finish talking about Aston Villa, and of course that team was incredibly successful. Was it six, three seasons in a row? You know, a really, really great team. And, and one of those teams when you look back at the Norths and you think, yeah, really good team to watch. And, and for you, must have been a great team to play in. But can you just take us behind the scenes to one match where the celebrations in the changing room were just off the scale? Can you pick a, a moment of team unity that you can just take us behind the scenes to and, and tell us what it was like? Oh, we all, always celebrated. We had enough people to celebrate in that dressing room. Uh, no, I mean, I no, no, one can, no one can see just how wide your smile is when you said that. <laughs> well, we can, but no one else can. It was, it was kind of like a, with a bit of a glint in your eye yeah. there. Listen, uh, we, the boys, the boys loved it. Boys loved it. I loved it when, we're, when, we, when we're winning game because we always, uh, we always had a couple of days off. The boys always, they were off to to London, they were spending time with the family, with friends, they were out all the time. So we love winning, winning games. But I think the best celebration is when the semi-final against Blackburn, when we won 6-4, guys. I don't know if you remember that game. Yeah. Uh, it, was, it was madness. Uh, we won the first one, uh, I think we won 2-1. And the second one, we were 2-0 uh, we down after, after nine minutes. So that after that game was hilarious. I remember that we we parted after after the game. We went out. We decided to go down to down to London. We had a great time together, and uh, we we celebrated and get into the final. So I'll probably pick up the the game the celebration after the Blackburn game when we won six four. Did it? Did it go something like this? Did they all go? Come on, come on, Cillian. We're going to go down to London. You're like, oh, can't we do Newcastle? Please, it's such a great uh, I wasn't, Listen, I wasn't allowed in Newcastle anyway. I've not, I've not been back since then. <laughs> I've not been back since then. Stan, um, I think a lot of Villa fans are kind of a little bit torn about that area because you had some great times under Martin, but then what followed after, people think, you know, did the club get it right with the finances? Did we overstretch ourselves? How do you feel about it? And, you know, players talk, players talk in the dressing room about wages and what other people are on. Was there a sense at the time that, are we doing the right thing here? I know that I knew the approach that uh, Aston Villa are taking. Unfortunately, it wasn't the right uh, the right time. It started uh, from uh, from Randy. Uh, Randy decided to to go for uh, a lot cheaper, younger players. He wanted to make sure that he developed those players, and you have players for an, an a long term, like for four, five, six years, so he can develop them, and that that can become a, a business model. You can see those business models are very successful at the moment. Unfortunately, it didn't work for Villa. Then uh, after that, he uh, changed of uh, ownership. That didn't work as well because there was very uh, there was a lot of uncertainty there. A lot of managers uh, were changing uh, as well. Uh, I had a great relation with uh, great relationship with Randy Lemon. And when I was here, guys, he was he was in the hospital. Him and uh, Paul Fortner was in the hospital all the time. They, they came to see me. We shared some views, and I knew where the club is going. It was a great, it was a great uh, project. It was something different, uh, which became more successful uh, uh, a, few, a few years later. But they wanted to implement this quite, quite earlier. I don't think he had the personnel to execute what he wanted to do. That was the biggest problem because sometimes we do have a great ideas, but if you don't have the personnel and the right people there, then it's a problem to execute what, what you think and just to put that idea across them. Stan, you know, when you, you spoke about your, your dream to play football and your, your core values and, and how that took you to Celtic and then you end up at, at Villa, you would never have anticipated that your career would have ended in the manner that it did end and for the reason that it did end. And I, I know that you're involved in player for player now. We spoke to guys like Mendieta, who's also involved in that, which is, is all to do with looking after players uh, coming towards the end of their career and when they make that transition into normal life, whatever that might be. Yours was a particularly unique situation. So what has the industry learned from that for, for players who are suffering with illness in particular? What, what's in place now? How, how are you guys helping players that might be in that situation? You know, it's funny saying it, we're still learning and it's, it's not a, a new life. It's a confused life for us, uh, guys. Uh, we as a players, we, we concentrate everything on becoming footballers. Uh, we don't pay attention to what is after. I don't think many, many people pay attention in the long term. To, to, to prepare for a long term, to have a long term plans is very difficult. But we as the players, we have to understand that that's a, that's a very important part of, of our career as well because our careers are very short. I mean, I had the, I had the pleasure to play 
long. You know, I've played professional, uh, professional, professional football for, for nearly 17 years, guys, which I've been lucky. Some players don't have that. If you look at it uh, through, through, through our careers, how many years do you actually make the, 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 the top money? How many years do you have the top contracts? Only very small percentage have all their life and <clears throat> with a good contract. We've got income every single week. We, we, we think that we're untouchable. We think that everything is set, uh, set for us afterwards. Unfortunately, that's not the case, guys. I had to do it the hard way. For me, it was taken away from me, which was, which was the hardest thing. And by taking away from me, I, I said that for nearly three years, I had to really switch off of football. I had to switch off of what I wanted to be. I had to concentrate on surviving. This, was, this was, was, my, was my priority. I can ask you guys, does somebody prepare you for that? No. Nobody can prepare you for that. So what I, what I started with, we're still learning about how to help former players, how to make that transition much easier, what is the right way, how to create yourself opportunity, how to understand your, your core value still, how to understand your skills, how to uh, transition those skills from playing to non-playing career uh, as well. And this is very important what we want to help. That's why we, we started uh, Player for Player. Uh, everybody who is uh, through, uh, working in that company actually played football. We went through difficult periods in our career. We went through our highs and lows. Uh, we discussed with uh, the industry. We had to talk with everybody about, around the industry from, from players, uh, current pl young players, current players, former players, clubs, federation, organization about what the issue is. And you know what, guys, we found out is those issues we dealt with when we were starting, when we're going through our, every stage of our career, and when we finish, are still there. So what is the right way? Is it the system? Is it the perception of how we need to help these players? What is the right way? This is the big question out there. That's why we, we decided to start player for player and bridge that gap. It must have been a nightmare scenario for you at, at the end there. I did look back when I was kind of researching ahead of doing this podcast and looking at uh, a few bits and bobs. You know, one of the things is, firstly, the reception you were receiving, fans across the country really seemed to galvanize to support you. And also when you were about to Celtic as well, and that must have been really uh, emotional for you, that the scenes there were just incredible. Uh, you know, a really well-loved player, um, which I guess when you when you start out as a footballer, you want to be, like you say, you want to be loved by fans, right? In in the sense that you've contributed something and they've appreciated what you've contributed, even if it had ended not in the way you might have wanted it to. You know, when uh, going back to what we started, uh, guys, is uh, who you want to become and everything that we were, that we were went through. Uh, I wanted to become the right the right person. I wanted to become an idol for for uh, uh, example for young kids. That's what was my my idols. I've mentioned it before: Stoichkov, Balakov, people that I looked uh, up to. I wanted to become something like that. So when I look back of of the reception I've received from Aston Villa, from Villa, from from football, from the football world, not just not just the, the, these two clubs, uh, it just shows you what kind of personality you've become. And it's just a satisfaction for me to see that I've done the right things. I always left my heart on a pitch. I always give attention to, to the fans. I always fought for their for DNA of their, of their club. And when, when I had this support, because it was very important support for me, I realized what I've became. And this is something that he, he, I don't think people can explain. I don't think you can find the right words to describe, to describe this. So at the end, when I look back, my wife actually asked me um, no long ago, and I say, how you feel after everything you went through, everything you've achieved? And I went I, I overwhelmed, you know, because I've come from a very, uh, I, I, was, I wasn't the, the best talent uh, when I was a young boy. I had the dream. I had to work re really hard for, for that dream. I had to go through so many difficult moments. I went through incredible moments as well. I met you. I met, uh, you know, we've got great, two great kids. I've played for some great, uh, great clubs. I've played with incredible teammates. I competed against the best players in the world. It's just satisfaction. It's what I wanted to be. And when I look back, is wow, I've actually achieved that. And when you look at back, guys, it's, it's incredible. You know, I've, I've got a ghost bumps, uh, <laughs> guys, of, uh, of this. 
And when you look back to what you've achieved as a, as a person, as a player as well, it's just satisfaction. And I started with my dad, you know, because he wanted me to become something. I, I, I think he's really proud. And I could see that his, his dreams are not becoming that good. He lived that dream uh, throughout me. And it, it, it's the best thing to see. Mate, I'm having a moment here as well. <laughs> uh, still, it's been so, so great to speak to you on the Broken Metatask. Look, for anyone listening who, who can't quite remember, we talked about it, just type in Stillian Petrov Derby goal and go and have a look. It's got hundreds of thousands of views. Most of them are Stillian showing his son. <laughs> but, st- but still, uh, well worth a look at. It's just one of those iconic girl- goals from the noughties. And thanks for taking us back to that decade, Stillian. It's been brilliant speaking to you. Bo- boys, it was really enjoyable, very relaxed. Good laugh. Good luck, guys. So that's what happened when the broken metatarsal spoke to the brilliant Stylian Petrov. I absolutely loved everything he had to say. He's so passionate about everything he talks about. Yeah, so much pride as well when he was talking about his career. He spoke about having goosebumps speaking to us. And like you said, Richard, genuinely, it was a moment for us hearing him and building it up. And yeah, I, I genuinely think that's one of the best interviews we've done on here. Um, just great to speak to someone who was clearly proud of what he did, loved every minute of it and still looks back on it now and, and gets that, that, that feeling inside him. I can safely say that um, nobody in the history of my life that I have spoken to has ended up with goosebumps apart from Stylian Petrov. So there you, go. there you go. Something to add on to the list. Okay, this episode was brought to you by our friends at Football Index, the football stock market where you can buy and sell players for real money. Sign up today at footballindex.co.uk and take advantage of their seven-day £500 money-back guarantee. T's and C's available online. And if you get a moment, check out begambleaware.co.uk. Thanks if you subscribed, uh, rated and reviewed the podcast. We really appreciate it. And you can get in touch. We are contact at planetfootball.com. We'll be back for the... Uh, for the series finale, just ahead of Christmas uh, next week. Holmesy, I think what I'm going to do is I'm going to tell you at the time about half an hour before we start. <laughs> uh, we'll see you next time on the Broken Metatarsal. <laughs>